This program is brought to you by the Practicing Law Institute, a nonprofit learning organization dedicated to keeping attorneys and professionals at the forefront of knowledge and expertise. I want to ask an honest question. Do corporate firm attorneys have the skills and experience necessary to meet the community's pro bono legal needs? When attorneys have the will to take on complex pro bono litigation, how do they get the support they need to do excellent work in unfamiliar areas of law? Are there organizations that meet both the needs of people living in poverty and the needs of the pro bono lawyers helping them? Keep listening and you'll find out. Welcome to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute, in which lawyers and clients talk candidly about their pro bono experiences. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken, and for 15 years, I was a legal services attorney in Chicago. Now, I'm a principal at Danu Center for Strategic Advocacy, a national organization supporting advocates and mission-based organizations in their own pursuit of social justice. I'm also a faculty fellow at PLI, where I get to work on special projects like this podcast. According to the U.S. Census, women are significantly more likely to live in poverty than men. For women living in poverty, some of their greatest demands for legal help come in the areas of family law and immigration. The largest law firms with the greatest capacity to provide pro bono assistance rarely have experience in family law and immigration. And their attorneys may have little experience with clients who are struggling through the daily barriers of limited resources and the impact of trauma like domestic and sexual violence. How do we support the lawyers so they can support the clients? One legal nonprofit, Her Justice in New York City, is meeting the needs of women living in poverty by providing in-depth training and ongoing mentorship to committed pro bono attorneys in New York law firms. I had the pleasure of speaking with Her Justice's legal director, Hamra Ahmed. My name is Hamra Ahmed. I am the legal director at Her Justice. Her Justice has been around for over 25 years, and we uh, serve women living in poverty throughout New York City by training and mentoring volunteer lawyers to address their individual needs and to address systemic barriers. We practice in the areas of family law, matrimonial law, and immigration law specifically, and we uh, spend the majority of our time training and mentoring volunteer lawyers. So Unlike other legal services providers that spend the majority of their time doing direct service, we concentrate our time and efforts in training and mentoring. How, how many volunteer lawyers do you have involved in Her Justice? On staff, we have 12 full-time staff attorneys, but we work with um, thousands of lawyers every year. I think last year we had um, 1,500 lawyers working on cases at any given time. And we served 4,000 women and their 5,000 children in the last year. So what do you think motivates individual lawyers to do pro bono with Her Justice? I think the strength of our model in that they know that they will be supported and trained along the way. You know, we know that family law, matrimonial law, and immigration law are not the primary areas that private law firms practice in. And it can be intimidating to 
try a field that you're not familiar with. And I think that it is crucial that they know and that they receive the support in uh, the initial training, the orientation into the area, um, not only the substantive law, but how to work with women living in poverty, and then to know that our attorneys are there along the way. And they are available immediately to respond to phone calls, review motions, briefs, um, talk through an issue over the phone through the conclusion of the case. What types of firms do the volunteer lawyers that you work with typically come from? Typically, we work with larger law firms, and the mutual benefit really is that the law firms can provide the infrastructural support and supervision internally. We have worked with uh, smaller firms and and solos, but um, not only is it helpful for us to then have, to be able to go to a firm and know that they have a pro bono program, but it's helpful for the associates to know that, for example, they can receive the substantive guidance from us, but have the litigation support of the firm backing them and the resources of the firm. And then they create a network internally at the firm of other associates working on similar cases or who have worked on cases so that they can call upon them for support and advice along the way. What sorts of things does Her Justice do to support these attorneys in working with women in poverty? In addition to the substantive training that we provide and the manuals and the templates, we really try to have them understand what it's like for a woman living in poverty coming into a large law firm. And, you know, one being in crisis often, whether it's being a victim of domestic violence or lacking access to resources, but then not even being aware fully of her rights and options and needing um, that support along the way. And so working with a client um, like ours will be different from working on a team on a case that a firm would, would have. The, the nice thing is that our associates often tell us, particularly ones that are more junior, that they have client contact that they would not normally have that early in their career so that they can practice those skills of communication and organization and managing expectations. And we're really enhancing our cultural competency training, everything from how to work with an interpreter when English is not her first language, to some of the other non-legal barriers that she faces, so transportation, childcare issues, um, why she may not be on time, or say that she can meet you somewhere and then does not show up. (laughs) And those things, there are so many other issues, like basic necessity needs, like shelter and food and medical issues and education issues for their children um, that seem not on point for the legal issue that you're working with, but have huge impacts on your relationship and ultimately what she is seeking, even in terms of of legal relief. Does that ever present a challenge for the volunteer lawyers, Um, sort of seeing someone in crisis, lacking resources that there's not necessarily a legal solution for? Do, Do the lawyers struggle with that? Absolutely. And we have externs who work at our firm that we have a closer relationship with, and they work on more complex litigation, expressing to us that they couldn't sleep or that they worried really, they felt irrationally (laughs) to an irrational amount uh, uh, about their clients after they went home. And to uh, have them recognize what that was, vicarious trauma. Vicarious trauma is something that I think professional nonprofit lawyers are finally incorporating into their thinking, but it may be a completely new idea for a volunteer or pro bono lawyer. So you talk a little bit more about what you mean by vicarious trauma. Sure. 
When you work with clients who are experiencing or have experienced direct trauma, being a victim of domestic violence, being isolated and lacking access and presenting with in a state of crisis, the symptoms include worrying, not being able to sleep, not being able to process what's happening, being empathetic to the point where you it starts to affect you and your personal life and the way that you function. And I think it's harder to identify because on a logical level, you're not experiencing the trauma. But, you know, there are studies and research and now more and more so recognition that in our field that it's something that we need to address. So, for example, we had an extern who was expressing that she had a hard time sleeping and was worrying about her client after hours and was taking it upon herself to try to find social services resources for the client. And it was problematic because she felt that her role was being blurred with with the client Um, And she was less effective in her role as an attorney. And so the social worker met with the client also to identify what are those issues that she needs help with, housing, uh, medical issues, and offered to the attorney that she can fill that role. So one, freeing the attorney up to focus on, on the case, but then also met with the attorney afterwards to ask her about what those experiences were and what that those symptoms look like and, and what are some coping mechanisms that she could use to help her sleep better. Um, we looked at her caseload to see, was there something that we could shift in terms of volume and getting her support, not only from our attorneys, but also from the firm. Can you tell me how your extern program works? We have uh, four firms with whom we have a closer relationship, and they share, if you will, their associates for four to six months at a time to come into our offices and work on cases on behalf of the firm, but under the direct supervision of our lawyers. So different from our mentoring model, where we're in our offices, the associates are working on one or two cases from their offices, and we communicate virtually uh, for the most part, these externs have um, the opportunity to be literally in the same office, have exclusively a caseload of her justice cases. So that can look like 10 clients, 10 to 15 clients, and really complex matters. Because of the nature of, of the exclusivity of their time on our cases, they can work with our attorneys. Our attorneys will go to court with them to make sure that they're getting the support that they need, reviewing um, their motions and meeting with them on a weekly basis, one-on-one to, to strategize. And it's a really mutually beneficial experience because the externs tell us all the time that it has really transformed not only their idea of, of pro bono, of working with clients, making them more substantive matter experts in those areas. It's really an excellent program that we're hoping to expand and get more firms to participate in largely for the most part, they find that they actually become more competitive and how they're seen at the firm. To be in court and speak in front of a judge and work with clients and manage a complex litigation caseload is a rare experience that people, that associates at their level, two, three, four years at the firm will have experienced. And the firm is supportive of it. And the associates walk away saying that they have something unique that actually gives them an edge. The supervisor partners at the firm are aware of that and are mindful. And then they transition them back in. Such a smart model. It really, I'm very impressed. Like everybody's kind of hooked in yes. and committed. Yes. So much of the success is based on relationships and communication and expectations. And of course, resources. Our firms tell us that their clients that they're catering are uh, more and more interested in seeing the diversity on the teams of at the firms that are working on their cases, but also what the firm's commitment is in investing in the community because corporations are becoming more and more 
aware of the social impact of their work, their presence in the community. Can you think of any examples when volunteer attorneys have struggled when they're they're dead in the middle of a case? Yeah, at times the clients will articulate a need or a desire for an outcome of a case that may not be legally uh, <laughs> either justifiable or possible and may actually hurt her interests. And the best scenario is when the attorney can identify it and, and share that with us. And we often will have a meeting then with the mentor from her justice, with the associate, and then we do our best to, to navigate that and explain and, and offer options. And you described the her justice attorney as a mentor. So am I understanding correctly that the, the firm files an appearance in the case? Does her justice file an appearance? No, normally what happens is the firm is retained. So the firm signs a retainer agreement with the client directly. And um, it varies from firm to firm, but normally we are either in the retainer as a consultant, so that privilege is extended and confidentiality, <laughs> um, or there will be a separate standing agreement with the, the firm and the client. The client acknowledges that privilege is shared and that we are consultants. So we don't normally do a co-counseling type model. Do you ever feel pressure to ensure that the cases that you refer to firms are winners? Like, do you feel, do you feel like it's a pressure to cherry pick and only send um, cases to volunteer lawyers that you feel fairly certain will be successful? That is a great question and something we struggle with a lot. In fact, you know how we talk about our client stories and how we kind of honor their dignity in what they need, that they need help regardless of if it's a winnable case, quote unquote, or not. Because I come from more of a legal services background where the client needs help. So it's really about the success of the journey and and looking at how would this client have navigated without having somebody by her side. And that could mean the difference, regardless of the outcome at the end. Of course, we are fortunate to have had successes that we share and that we encourage um, attorneys to, to go by. So can you tell us about a, an example of a project or a case that Her Justice and uh, volunteer lawyers have worked on that you're, that you're proud of, that you think is really great? Well, I think I talked about the externship program, and that was really great. You know, I think that we often have sometimes cases that we call home runs in the office where we're able, a client comes to us with multiple needs and issues. And so she's an undocumented survivor of domestic violence, and she is fighting for custody and child support of her child and eventually wants to get divorced. And the fact that we have not only internally kind of the experts to be able to address those issues, but to leverage that and and work with firms who have the resources and time and capacity to dedicate to help this person um, holistically. And then, of course, having our social work manager to deal with the other social service issues, I think, is something that we're really proud of because clients don't come to us with one single need. And to be able to address multiple issues, multiple needs together, and to know that she has a team alongside her, helping her along the way, and to and then to see her and her children thrive, it still brings a tear to our eyes when we when we hear those stories and we circulate those stories and we see her reunited with her children after so many years and that she has she's got a good job and she's becoming economically self sufficient and and at the end of the day that's what we want to see that's why we do what we do. Fantastic! Every time I learn more about her justice, I'm more impressed. 
I've often had discussions with my own lawyers, lawyers at other nonprofits where, but we have to do it in a way that the firms want to hear it, so that they want to do it. And I would argue that the more sincere and you know original that you share the story, frankly, the more compelling it can be. It's that you're not putting a filter on it. You're not making assumptions about what the firm wants to hear in order to get involved. And you're really dignifying the life of the client. I do think sometimes it's tempting when you're thinking about your legal strategy to want to amp up the the parts that people might pity um, because you think that's you tell yourself that's what the judge wants. Yes, absolutely. And and to your point is we keep thinking we make assumptions about what the audience wants to hear and and sometimes they're not incorrect, right? We work with the judicial system that sometimes is not it's a little bit behind the times in terms of what is compelling or what subjective issue is going to meet the legal standard. And sometimes it does take the reaction of the client to how you've pitched the story to really open our eyes. Uh, they had a video of a client's story. It was really compelling and, and well done. And afterwards, somebody had said that, like, pointed to the client who was there to kind of be honored and recognized that these are the neediest New Yorkers. And the client physically flinched at that moment and said to her afterwards, like, I never saw myself as needy or neediest. You try to understand where that comes from. And it's not a a rare narrative. And we say that all the time. But how often we talk about our clients and they never get to see the final part. They don't see necessarily that article in or a social media post about a victory for on behalf of a client where the client really is then becomes absent from the story. And would the client want her story told in that way? How much of that are we then training the next generation of lawyers or our colleagues to be mindful of that? Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sitting sure. down. Sure. No, thank you for asking me. It. I think this is so exciting. With our sincere thanks to Hamra Ahmed, This has been a special interview exploring how the organization Her Justice works with firms to ensure excellent litigation services to women living in poverty in the legal areas where they most need help. Thanks for listening to Pursuing Justice, The Pro Bono Files, a podcast from PLI, the Practicing Law Institute. This production is dedicated to the pro bono and public interest lawyers helping those with limited access to justice. We also thank our production team, including Daniel Pinitz, Janet Siegel, J.C. Kinneman, and Robert Gennerke, as well as our host, Alicia Aiken. PLI is a nonprofit provider of authoritative legal training and continuing education. Since its founding more than 80 years ago, PLI has served the pro bono and public interest community. Lawyers working to expand access to justice can apply for complimentary access to attend PLI events or to watch any one of the 2,500 on-demand programs available on pli.edu. For more information about PLI's wide-ranging curriculum, visit pli.edu slash pro bono.